Well, Merry Christmas. I'm Mike Lee, and my wife, Dean, and I lead a life group here at ECC. And today, I have the privilege of talking to you about the candle of hope. I see hope as an outworking of faith. What makes hope work is that we believe in something. But belief or faith doesn't work if the object of our faith is lacking. What makes our faith rock solid and which produces hope is the object of our faith, which is what this Christmas time is all about. That God the Son took on flesh so that he could live the life of obedience to God that we couldn't live. Die the substitutionary death that we deserved so that he could pay the penalty for our sins that we owed and he could satisfy God's wrath. But that he could also rise from the grave three days later, victorious over death and sin and hell that he would ascend into heaven to reign over all things, and one day he would return to make all things new, which is why we can sing on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. To have biblical hope, we must have biblical faith, faith in Jesus, who is the source and the perfecter of our faith. So how is hope and outworking of our faith? Well, to hope for something means that in some way we lack something that we expect will be provided for us. Hope is an earnest expectation that the object of my faith, Jesus, will meet every one of my needs. What I'm lacking, I have hope and earnest expectation that he'll provide. So what are we lacking today? What needs do we have that we can earnestly expect Jesus to meet? Well, Isaiah 9 verses 2 through 7 helps us to understand these things. Isaiah writes, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloody garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. So according to Isaiah, what are some of the needs that Jesus meets as we hopefully look to him? When our government and leaders fail us and disappoint us, we remember that the government is on his shoulders. Our hope isn't in a political party or in a politician. And when it seems that our government, whether local, state, or national, has gone off the rails, we remember that Jesus is sovereign over all of it. We hope in Jesus. When we lack direction and have no clue about our next steps, he's our wonderful counselor. Through the Bible and through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Jesus counsels us. He leads, guides, and directs us. We hope in Jesus. When we are powerless, he is our mighty God. When it seems as though the odds are against us, when Satan and our sin overwhelm us, when we struggle with self-control, when we're scorned because of our faith, when we are weak, Jesus is strong. He's our strong tower, our refuge, our shelter in the storm. We hope in Jesus. 
And when we are lonely, when our family, our friends, and maybe even our church fails us, he welcomes us as an eternal father, which means he treats us as sons and daughters. When we feel that no one loves us or accepts us, we have an eternal father who loves us unconditionally. We are never alone. We are never unloved. Jesus comforts us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. We hope in Jesus. And when we are anxious and worry fills our hearts, he's our prince of peace. We know that in this world we have trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. We don't have to be anxious for anything because if we are seeking first his kingdom, he'll add everything we need to us. We hope in Jesus. However, the greatest need we have, the greatest thing we're lacking is reconciliation to God because our sin separates us from him. Isaiah 9 says that a great light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. The child who was born has been born for us. The cry of a baby boy born 2,000 years ago is the first cry that announces a savior has been born who will save his people from their sins. This cry announces to all the demonic realm that darkness will no longer reign over man. This crying baby announces that we will be set free from the chains with which we've been enslaved. This cry announces that a new kingdom has broken into the world, an everlasting kingdom that will be prosperous and never end. We have a new king, and his name is Jesus. And notice the last thing that Isaiah says in verse 7. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. God is not groping in this darkness, trying his best to make things work out. God doesn't reluctantly save sinners, hoping it will make him look good. With a zeal that only God can produce, he sent his son to everyone who will by faith turn from their sins and trust in Jesus alone for salvation. This is the God who pursues sinners with an outrageous love that exceeds anything we could ever imagine. It's a love that saves sinners, pursues prodigals, and takes us to be with Jesus when we die. And should we remain until the Lord returns, it's a love that will come for us when King Jesus ushers in his eternal kingdom through his second coming. This is the Jesus in whom we place our hope. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter one, verses 18 and 19, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength? There's no greater prayer we could pray for one another this Christmas. And so for all of you who are here today, no matter where you find your life at this moment, may I say to you this Christmas, hope in Jesus. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. My name is Joshua Jamerson, and I am the pastoral intern here at the church. I um, lead the prayer ministry here. Also, myself and Corey Trimble, we lead the young adult ministry, which is evident. And I sing a little bit sometimes, all right? So um, the candle that I lit today represents love, all right? Love. And I'm going to read um, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any 
affection, and mercy. Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent with one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not for only his own interests, but also the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross. Verse 9 is what I love. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. So that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God, the Father, all right? Amen. So listen, in this, in this season, we often, um, we're all excited, everyone in here, I'm sure, is excited about the holiday and about the season, and um, we get so caught up with what I'm going to get. You know, we got our list, and we put our request in to everybody. People got requests in here, right? You put your request in. And we're looking like, man, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to what I'm going to get, what I'm going to get, what I'm going to get. That's, I know you love me if you give me what I, what I want. But the greatest aspect of this season is the gift of love is in, re, in, re, in regards to us giving. When you think about this season, you think about God, right? And the gift, the greatest gift that he gave us was Jesus, right? God gave unselfishly his son. And his son, unselfishly and humbly, put aside his deity, put aside his royalty to come down for us as a man and to serve others. Man, that's, that's love. That's the kind of love that we should have. In this season, we should look around and take survey of who's around us. Not just, and listen, I'm not saying we don't give gifts and we don't, you know, look forward to having that great time exchanging. We're going to do all that. Let's have a great time. But sometimes we got to look past just the, the list that you gave me and maybe observe other people and observe some things that, man, maybe there's some, some really some needs in someone's life. And let's be unselfish in this season and humble ourselves and say, man, what can I do? That can, that's pretty much how Christ did for us. What can I do? that I can show love the way that God showed me love and be a blessing to someone. John 3, 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved us so much that he gave. He gave. He gave his son. What can we give? We start to think about that. Society often tells us, you know, well, listen, if you don't love me, then I'm going to just love myself, right? And, that, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But God wants us to be unselfish and to humble ourselves. 
looking out not just for our own interests, which comes naturally, but we're also instructed to look out for the interests of others. There's two points that I would love to leave with you. One, if you want to make God happy, be unselfish with one another. Treat others the way that you will want to be treated. And two, have the same attitude that Jesus did, who humbled himself and became a servant to others. As a result, God highly exalted him, right? There's a challenge that I would love to, to leave with you for the remaining of 2018. Turks, take survey of people around you and determine what can you do, what can we do that we can be unselfish in our giving and our love. I was thinking about this love thing this week, and I said, man, I was going through the list, and I was like trying to figure out how my love towards my wife is. And I was like, I kind of joked around a little bit, but I was like, man, maybe I don't love my wife because I'm not doing, oh my God, there's some things that I could be doing better. I can be a lot more unselfish. I can be selfish sometimes. So you know what? I'm going to do better. I'm going to show my love in other ways and be more humble. I want to challenge you and encourage you to do that the remaining of this year and watch what God does for you. He's faithful and he will honor your sacrifice. My wife and I had a need. Um, maybe for the past year or so, we've been driving one car. And she works in Nashville. I work here at the church. So you can imagine how every day looks. So we live here in Murfreesboro. So we're trying to get to, to Nashville and get back here by 8 o'clock. And 24 is not always nice to us in the morning right? <clears throat> going both ways, going both ways, but definitely going to Nashville, you know. But we had a need, and I told my wife, I said, you know what, in January, we're going to get a car. We're gonna, you know what, just forget it. We're going to get it. She said, okay, not, not a problem. Cool. But there was another young lady here at the church, very similar, was going through some things, and, you know, if you, look, if you listen to her journey, which I won't get into, you'll be like, well, listen, you don't have to give because you have a lot going on in your life. But God challenged her this year to give unselfishly, humbly in some areas. And God has been faithful to her. And in one of those areas, God challenged her to give away her car. And she was like, well, Lord, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? Well, I will say this, make a long story short. This week, someone came into the office and asked me to come out. And I came. And she put this in my face. It's a key to a car. She said, if I give you this key, can you take care of the insurance and the tax? I was like, yeah. I was confused. I was so confused. She started smiling. She said, I want to give you this car. So while she was smiling, I was trying not to cry. I was squeezing my toes and like, Lord, I can't cry from this lady. She put her arms out and hugged me and said, Merry Christmas. Oh, that did so much. Did so much. It was powerful. What can you do? What can we do in this season? So I decided, told my wife, I said, listen, this is what happened. We're going to take this car. And God put it on my heart. Just pretty much immediately said, take the car. Take it how, how she gave it to you. Upgrade it a little bit. I won't use the word that I said first service, but we're just going to upgrade it a little bit. You can imagine what I said, right? <laughs> And um, 
we're going to upgrade it a little bit and, you know, do some things to it. And I want to be a blessing to someone else, and I'm going to give it to somebody else. I'm going to give it maybe to a single mother or to a guy that's walking to get to work. Or I don't know who God's going to give me to give it to, but I want to be a blessing to somebody else. I'm not worried about what God, God is going to bless us, and he'll do some things for us. But I want to be a blessing to somebody else. That's what love is. That's the reason. That's the, the real trueness of love, being unselfish. Think about what you can give in this year, right? Amen. Bless you. morning. My scripture this morning is found in Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she had given birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So my name is Donna Ritchie. And the third candle that I lit today represents joy. And like Mary, I too am a mother. My husband and I have three grown daughters. But unlike Mary, my children were born in much different circumstances. And I've often wondered how she felt knowing that her son was going to be the savior of the world. Did she even fully understand what that meant? And years later, as her son Jesus started his ministry, did she have joy when she watched and heard how he was rejected and ridiculed? So what is joy? The Webster's uh, definition, or should we say the world's definition of joy, is emotion evoked by well-being, good fortune, or possessing what one desires. The meaning of joy that the world refers to is a pale comparison of what the Bible says joy is. Worldly joy is fleeting, and it comes and it goes depending on my circumstances. On the contrary, the Bible teaches us that joy is a gift of God. And since our Heavenly Father is the author of all good things, When a person becomes a believer, they become united with God through faith in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit imparts this joy to all believers. Joy is a part of who I am because of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 6, verse 10, Paul says, We can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, having nothing 
yet possessing everything. When my husband and I were young parents, we got to experience this firsthand. To those of you who do not know my husband, we've been married 41 years. And 41 years, I know. I think we're going to make 42. Uh, He's an incredible man. He really is. He came from very humble beginnings. Uh, He lost his mother when he was six years old. And his father had an eighth grade education. Yet God had an eye on him. He excelled in sports, which gave him an opportunity to go to college. And in the summer of 1977, I know that's the stone ages for a lot of you young whippersnappers, we were married. And shortly thereafter, we started raising our family, and we had a wonderful church family too. But quickly, Tim started climbing the corporate ladder, and the accolades came, and commission checks were more than what we'd ever dreamed of. And Tim was quickly promoted as one of the youngest leaders in his industry. Life was good. Life was very good. Then the bomb dropped. Our youngest daughter was diagnosed with Wilms tumor. She had cancer in both of her kidneys at 15 months old. I remember one evening very clearly. We were practically living at Vanderbilt Children's Hospital, and our baby girl had finally fallen asleep, and I pulled my chair outside of the room to take a break and sit in the hall. I guess I just needed a change of scenery. And God spoke to me, and he tenderly told me that no amount of money in the world could heal our daughter, that it didn't matter how successful we had become. My husband and I could not cure her cancer. Jesus wanted me to trust him, to find my joy in him, that even though we were in the midst of great sorrow and great fear, that our inner joy could never be taken away that no matter what the outcome, whether our baby was healed or not, God is with us. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's found in James chapter 1. The very core of believers in Christ Jesus can still rejoice that we are forgiven children of God. I'm very joyful, and I am so very grateful to say that our daughter was miraculously healed 33 years ago. Praise God. Since then, Tim and I have had our faith tested severely many times, and we don't always receive the answer that we pray for. But we rejoice that God is God and we are not. Joy is the affirmation of the one thing truer than any trouble or any affliction. The affirmation that God is our strength and our comforter. My prayer for us all 
is to experience a new and refreshing joy this Christmas season. Amen. Good morning, or afternoon, I guess it is now. Um, I am Rachel Elkins, and um, for those of you that don't know me, I am married to the guy sitting behind me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the candle that, well, I, I do want to um, take this opportunity real quick um, before I get started and just thank this church so much for the love and the support that you show, Kyle and I. Um, we are so blessed to be part of this community, and um, it is just a wonderful place to be. Um, the candle that I'm lighting um, today uh, represents peace. And that's a word that we tend to um, hear a lot and uh, see a lot all over our Christmas decor. And we sing about it in our Christmas carols. Um, but in reality, it's not always how we feel this time of the year. Uh, for many of us, it's a time when we're reminded of um, hurt and pain in our lives, whether it be from hurt relationships, uh, being broken or just things not being the way that they used to be. Um, it could be a time of loneliness and a time of grieving the loss of someone that's no longer with us. Um, John 16:33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Another uh, translation, the first translation that I actually read of that verse said, in this world you will have sufferings. Um, it was at that moment when I read that that I knew that I needed to share some of my story with you today. Um, I'll try really hard not to get emotional. Um, but I remember vividly at six years old being sat down and told that my dad had been in an accident uh, at his work, and he did not survive. My mom did an amazing job raising my brother and I by herself. There was never a lack of love or attention in our home. We had a very wonderful home growing up. Um, but, of course, there was always something missing uh, for all of us. Um, but we learned a new, new normal, and we healed as much as you can heal from something like that. Um, but there was a strong bond between uh, me and my mom and my brother. Of course, Philip and I were your typical siblings. We uh, fought and act like we didn't like each other. Um, but all, in all reality, we, we had a deep love for each other. Um, I don't remember specifics uh, of an incident, but I do know that there was a young boy teasing me in our front yard, and the next thing I know, he's landed in the bushes. And everybody from then on knew, you do not mess with Philip's little sister. Um, I have him to thank for my love for some Pink Floyd. And I thought it was pretty cool that he let me come into his room and listen to all of his records. We actually spent many nights uh, hanging out, and uh, we would laugh and sometimes even cry, and we shared things with each other that we would never share with anybody else. Um, so four years ago, uh, when I received the most dev devastating 
news I could ever imagine Philip had passed away. Um, I remember the day. Uh, I will never forget the day. Uh, Kyle had, he had found out the news before me, and he was the one that was going to have to tell me. He had called over Corey and Alicia over to the house to be there with us, and I was in complete shock, and I had just talked to Philip the night before. We had spent an hour and a half on the phone just chit-chatting and catching up, and I just remember looking at Corey and thinking, and saying, we can't do this again. How are we going to get through another loss in our family? So we packed up our stuff, and we went and picked up my mom, and um, we went on to Kentucky to start making the arrangements for his funeral. It was the hardest week of my life. Um, there were just so many moments that just seemed unbearable. Um, but it was in those moments that mom and I did the only thing that we need to do, and that was we grabbed each other's hands and we began to pray. And um, it was in those times that I experienced for the first time in my life the words of Philippians 4-7, a peace that surpasses all understanding. The Holy Spirit would move in whatever room we were sitting in, and at one point we were actually sitting in the funeral home making the plans, and we just... We, we said, we've got to stop. We've got to stop for a minute. And the Holy Spirit would just move, and it was a supernatural peace that we so desperately needed at that time. It was a hard year, um, but as most of you know, that was the year of our miracle. After 13 years of infertility, God blessed us with a baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember looking down at that, at that test and seeing the word pregnant, and I just felt, God, you do love me, and you do have this perfect plan for me, and I completely trust you, whatever it is. Um, that baby girl, is, she just means so much to us, but more than anything, she is a huge reminder of God's faithfulness to me in my life. I remember Christmas rolling around that year, and I, I didn't think I could do it. I just wanted to completely skip Christmas that year. Um, but I looked around at the table, and I saw, you know, my husband and uh, my mom and my husband's family, which are wonderful. And I was expecting Nora, and I, I felt blessed, and I felt peace. Um, I'm sharing this today because I know that there are similar stories of hurt and loss here today. Um, but I just want to say, God loves you. He does allow hurt and sufferings in our life. But he also desires to wrap his arms around you and hold you just when it seems unbearable. I encourage you uh, today to, to just surround yourself with people that love you and also to love on other people that you know are hurting as well. I encourage you to give thanks in all things. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 is my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. God does have a plan for us, and it's not to harm us, but it's to give us hope and give us a future. And that promise to me brings me great peace. And I hope that you all have a wonderful Christmas. I love you.
How is everyone this morning? All the speakers this year were so good. Um, it's good every year, but it's just, uh, it's crazy. This is the fourth time that I've heard everyone get up here and speak, and each time it's just, it's so good. Fun fact, so Josh Brooker really threw up. That wasn't like a joke. And if you go back and hear the audio, it is the most disgusting thing in the world. It was absolutely gross. <laughs> it's funny when it happens to Josh, though. Uh, amen. <laughs> So I get to do, every year I get to do the, the candle that embodies all the things that you've heard today, joy and peace and love and hope, and my candle represents Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read to you probably the most famous passage that we read during Christmas time, even if you're not a Christian in here, if you've ever watched a, a Charlie Brown Christmas, Linus gets up and reads Luke chapter 2, actually he recites it, so... Uh, I'm going to read to you Luke chapter 2. It's about the story of the, the birth of Jesus Christ. This is what it says. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to their own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the, f the house and the family line of David. He went to be registered along with Mary, who he was engaged to and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region... Shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy for all people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and she was meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. Now, I have, without exaggeration, probably read Luke chapter 2 a hundred times. And every Christmas, I'm the guy that gets to come up here and read this. And most of you, even if you haven't read it a hundred times, you've probably heard it a lot of times in your life. This week, I was reading chapter 2 of Luke, and something jumped out at me. I, I literally circled it. Something jumped out at me that I had never seen before in chapter 2. It's verse 19. Now, what's interesting is it says Mary was treasuring up these things in her heart and meditating on them. And I'm like, what is that talking about? So I got to do a little bit of studying. 
The book of Luke was written in about 70 AD. So that means Jesus was born, right, at zero, died at 33 AD, and so about 37 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Luke wrote this book. And so Luke got the most of the information for the gospel of Luke from the book of Mark, from Mark's writings. But if you research it, he didn't get chapter two from Mark. Here's what's neat about chapter two. Luke had the opportunity to meet Mary, the mother of Jesus, a couple of years before she died. So she was an older woman. Her son had been passed away for about, about 30 years at that time. And he had the opportunity to think about this for a second. He had the opportunity to sit down with the woman and interview her about giving birth to the son of God. So as he's writing down, I was about to start doing this. They didn't have computers back then. <laughs> but as he was writing down what Mary was saying, verse 19 jumped out at me because he kind of recorded her demeanor as she spoke about her son. It said that she treasured up the thoughts that she had about Jesus, and she meditated on them. She just thought about them. Now, it's interesting. As crazy as the world gets, we have a tendency, even as Christians, to kind of make a mess out of Christmas time. And not that all these things are bad, even the things that like Joshua Jamerson talked about a little bit, there's nothing wrong with getting gifts, and there's nothing wrong with spending money on each other and blessing other people, nothing wrong with any of that. But sometimes we get so wrapped up, we get so busy, we're in such a rush, and the month of December is like a wash almost, you know? It starts and then it's over before you know it, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and you're broke, and all these things have happened. And what Mary says, what we, what we read about, or what Luke writes about Mary, is he says when this time of year rolls around, when we think about the birth of Jesus, that there is something special. Like what Mary did, she stopped, and you can almost get this image of this older woman sitting there, and she's just kind of smiling, and she's treasuring up in her heart the memories of giving birth to Jesus. And it says she just meditated on it. Imagine like as Luke's talking to her, she just kind of stops and just thinks. And that's what we're supposed to do. In the middle of all the chaos and the shopping and the making sure you get to this house and cook this and get this prepared, we're supposed to take a little bit of time during the season and just stop. And not just stop, but Mary meditated on Christ, really thought about it. The fact that God sent his only son to come as a man, to live, to grow up, to give us the perfect example of how God wants us to live. And that little bitty boy grew up and eventually gave his life as a young man for us. Listen, I know Christmas Eve is tomorrow. I know that some of you have to leave and go out of town and Joshua had to leave early because he's driving to Buffalo, New York. I was like, dude, you know we have airplanes now that... Um, <laughs> And so I know all of us are so busy, but I wanna encourage you. I wanna encourage you to slow down and meditate. Now listen, I'm gonna be honest with you, very honest. I try to always be very, very honest with you. Christmas is always hard for me. For about the last seven years, I have really struggled. And if you, if you know anyone that works here, they'll tell you, Corey's the worst during December. I get into this seasonal depression I struggle with Christmas because like a lot of you in this room, I didn't grow up with a good family life. 
I have a father that doesn't speak to me. I have a sister that I see about every three or four years. We get together, but we don't have a very good relationship. I have my mother, but she's in St. Louis, and it's hard for me to see her as much as I'd like. I'm gonna get to go see her after Christmas. But I didn't, I didn't really have that. I didn't really have the, cli- the, the close family thing. And so every December would roll around and I would slide into this depression and I'd get so sad because all of you know who come from dysfunctional backgrounds and who have scars and some of you who've made a lot of mistakes, December where everyone else is happy, that just brings up all the things that are wrong. <laughs> and so every year it was rough for me, it was hard. So this year, Mike, the, the, the first man that spoke today, who's a wonderful man, Mike had told me about a counselor he knew named John. And so I got a hold of this counselor a couple of months ago and I said, this is gonna be the year where I'm going to intentionally not be miserable in December. So I started going to Franklin and seeing a counselor. I started praying with him, started intentionally trying to meditate and treasure up all the good things that are in my life. Is my life perfect? No, I haven't met anyone with that life yet. We have all been hurt, we have all hurt others. But my counselor would even tell me, he, I, he even, I didn't say this at the other services, I'll say it at this one. The last time I saw my counselor, he said, Corey, I give you permission to just slow down and enjoy this December. It was so weird, I was like, well, thank, thank you. <laughs> but I did, I started to slow down. And despite all the things that have been done to me, and despite all the things that I have messed up in my 39 years, I look back and God has really blessed me. Now listen, I have a great mother, but I don't have a father in my life and I really don't have a sibling in my life. But here's what meditating on Christ does. When we meditate and we think on Jesus, he opens up our eyes to see the truth. And the truth is, though I have a broken biological family, God has given me thousands and thousands and thousands of brothers and sisters. God has given me father figures and matriarchs in my life. Guys, I'll go get coffee sometimes and people will walk up to me and they'll say, Corey, you don't know me, but I love you so much and you've done a lot for us. I'm like, wow. And I mean, like, some of you, I don't think you know how much of an impact that has on me. You guys have taken care of me and you've blessed me so much. And for the first time in about seven years, I can really, really see it. I, I well. <laughs> so we've been doing the church for almost 10 years and I'm almost there, guys. <laughs> but here's what I wanna encourage you this year. I know life isn't perfect. We sat at the nine o'clock service and there was a woman that, that, that a wonderful woman, Melanie, who lost her 16-year-old son a couple of Christmases ago. And I look out and I know a lot of your stories and I know that a lot of you hurt. But just like what Rachel said, who lost her father and her brother, if we will meditate and if we will think on and if we will learn to trust the Lord, he will let us see that we do have a bright future, that we are blessed, that we have a lot to look forward to in this life and in the next Here's the last thing. We take communion every single week at this church, and here's how you can give Corey a Christmas present this year. I would like to ask all of you, if you feel comfortable enough to do so, we're gonna offer communion, and I would love all of you to go get it, and then maybe you can come back to your seat and you can take it, or you can hang out with your family for a minute, and we're gonna sing Silent Night together, and I would love for all of you to stay and sing that with us. 
But listen, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I love you so much, so much. And I just pray that all of you take the time to remember what this is really about. And if we will, God will remind you of how blessed we truly are. It's interesting, not only did God send his only son as a little baby that was born in a manger, but that son grew up and he was nailed to a cross for you and I. But he didn't stay dead. He resurrected so we could have life. And the Bible says we can have it more abundantly. So if you bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray with you. And all the way around you, after I get done praying, all the way around you, wherever you see a lamp on a table, there is communion. Everyone, as long as you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you're welcome to take communion. Lord Jesus, God, I just want to tell you how thankful I am for this church. I want to thank you, th tell you, God, how thankful I am for my, my wife and my kids and my mother. I want to tell you how thankful I am, God, that regardless of what's been stolen from us or what we have messed up, that if we will just meditate on you, if we will just think of you, treasure up in our hearts, God, the thought of you, that you will remind us, Lord, that this season is very important and that we are blessed. God, we're never alone if we have you. Like Mike said, we have hope. Like Donna said, we have joy, God, not based on what we have or don't have, but based on that you have given us a gift. Father, from the bottom of my heart, I pray for everyone in this room, God. I pray that they be blessed. I pray that you protect them and keep them safe. I pray, Lord, that if they're alone, they can look around and say, God, I'm not alone. You've given me the church and you've given me your son and you've given me your Holy Spirit that is the comforter, the counselor. Lord, as we take communion today and remember what you've done for us, God, I pray that we can just leave this place filled up and encouraged. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we lift you up, God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Church, Merry Christmas.